taking a, just a short detour away from X just for this week. I, I wanted to uh, just, this is a, a thought that we want to bring out into the open uh, every once in a while and uh, just refresh our uh, priorities, and that's what we're talking about tonight, the question of priorities, as this is the first Sunday night of the year, and I uh, just want to challenge this area. Do you want to be just a few minutes here? Not going to keep you long. <clears throat> and so let's look at a couple of verses here. Mark 12. And verse number 28, one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, what is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandment, his commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely, this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Father, I pray tonight you'd help us just in these few moments we have together. Help us to drive home these two points that Jesus was making into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus constantly finds himself under the attack of the religious Jews. They want to see him dead, ultimately. They want to see him destroyed. The Pharisees, uh, in verses 13 through 17, had asked Jesus a question about ownership. They had failed miserably. Jesus embarrassed them publicly. He constantly did that because they thought that they had, uh, were able to, they thought they were smarter than him was, was the main problem. But, uh, the Sadducees saw that their enemies failed to trap Jesus and they came to the Lord with a theological puzzle. They believed they could embarrass him by asking him a difficult question. Verses 18 through 27 uh, has those verses about how they tried their hand at him, and uh, he was not able to, or they were not able to make any uh, further that either. He did not fall into their trap, either one of them. He exposed them. They were publicly embarrassed. Now, while Jesus is talking to the Sadducees, there's a man that's listening to the conversation. He is a Pharisee. He's a scribe. Uh, the scribe was amazed by Jesus' answers. That's found in Matthew 22:35, is where it uh, labels him as a scribe. Uh, the, he was amazed by Jesus' answers. Nowhere do we see here or get the idea that his motives are evil. Uh, he seems to just simply be seeking information. It, in itself, it is a worthy question. Unlike the riddle that the Pharisees give or the trick question that the Sadducees try to spring on him, this is a question fit for the consideration of Jesus himself. It is about commandments. Uh, it acknowledged the rule of a just God. It acknowledges the duty of our obedience to that rule. It concerns holiness. The highest of all man's endeavors is holiness. It evidenced a desire to do what was right it, and to give a priority to what should be prioritized in our Christian life. There's no greater inquiry than this, like this guy gave. What is the will of God? What is it that I should do? What is the duty of man? Look at the question that he asked in verse 28. This is what he wants to know. Which is the first commandment, or we could say the greatest commandment of all? Now, this might not ring a bell to us, this type of question, but this was a common area of discussion among the religious Jews. The Jewish scribes and the rabbis had identified 613 laws in the Old Testament. That's how many laws are in the Bible, in the Old Testament. 
248 of these rules or these laws were viewed as positive, while 365 of these laws were viewed as negative. These commands were then subdivided into groups, light and heavy groupings by the Pharisees. The problem is that they never could quite agree on what was a light sin and what was a heavy sin. Get into that conversation with anybody and you'll find out how that true that is. And by the way, those aren't any, uh, those conversations haven't ceased. We still have them to this day. Debates about what's a greater sin than the other. In fact, we do that when we compare ourselves amongst ourselves. Hey, well, I'm not as bad as you are because you do this after all. Well, you do this and we start to compare ourselves amongst each other. People still try to play those games with the word of God. There is an ongoing attempt to compare ourselves and make ourselves better than someone else. Uh, People still love to argue the Bible. People still love to devise riddles and puzzles uh, based on the Bible, trying to figure out what they can and can't get away with uh, according to the Bible. In other words, people look for loopholes. (laughs) What they can can get away with, teenagers are great for this. The question starts out with, why can't I... And then you just finish it. That's what the question starts out with. And then uh, there's a whole bunch of things that they fill in the end of. But uh, that's just a natural question. Why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? How how far can I get away from, uh, or, or how close to the line can I get? How close to the edge? And so we uh, people look for those loopholes. And these verses, Jesus is going to tell us how very simply we can honor the whole law and He removes all kinds of fuzziness about it. Because again, this is debates they were having. What law is greater than that? We used to have those uh, in in the Amish religion, and and, and many religions do this. If you got any rule-based religion, you're going to have a lot of discussion about the rules. What is the most important thing, or, or what's the thing that we hold on to the most? One of the ways that we do these things in our lives is that we de-emphasize certain areas of the Bible and overemphasize other areas. We need to keep the Bible the Bible, amen? So the question asked, verse 28. Now look at the question answered. Also verse 28. Uh, well, Jesus, verse 29, I should say. Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God is one Lord, <coughs> and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Jesus took all 613 commands in the law, and he condensed them into two. That's helpful, isn't it? How many of you would agree it's easier to memorize two things than 613 things? Am I got everybody with me on that one? Let's look at verse 31 and, or 30 and 31 and see his answer phrase by phrase here. He starts out by saying, thou shalt love. This is agape love. This refers to that intelligent, purposeful, and committed love. It is a love that is an act of the will, not an act of the emotion. It is not an automatic response like, my, she's beautiful. I love her. That's that's a physical, emotional response, not an act of the will. Uh, it is more than phileo. What I just mentioned is phileo. It's an, it's an emotional love. It's tender affection. It's a response to uh, something that stimulates our affection. Uh, 
It is far more than eros. That's the other type of love in the Bible, uh, which is a sensual, physical love. That is the uh, that is when we get basically, uh, it's a sexual thing. We look at somebody else and we have uh, can have impure thoughts because of euros. Agape love is the kind of love that God has for us. It is unconditional, it is perfect, it is eternal, and it is changeless. I would say probably most people have agape love for their children. I think that that's, we can safely say that for most people in here. The, your children's, uh, your, your love for your children does not depend on how they act day after day. Uh, sometimes you want to kill them, but at the end of the day you still love them. Uh, that's agape love. And so it is utterly unselfish. It is a love that gives itself and does not expect anything in return. This is the kind of love that caused Jesus to go to the cross for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. In other words, we are to love him as he loved us. Now, that love is possible only through his indwelling us. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. We're really not going to be able to love God the way God loves us unless we do it with Holy Spirit-filled power because we're not able to love like that. We don't, we're not capable of it. If man does not love God, if he's not looking outward and upward, then he will become sensual. If he spends all his time feeding his body, feeding his, or satisfying his appetites, basically what happens then is God becomes a, uh, and I'm not meaning any disrespect, but this is how people treat God, is a cosmic butler, essentially. And everything's fine. I, I don't know how many times I've visited people in the hospital or uh, after an accident or after a family tragedy, and they're mad at God. God's been good to them for 20 years, and they never thought to praise Him for it. Now, one bad thing happens, and they're mad at God. Why is that? Well, the reason that is is because uh, man is not loving God. He, that person's not loving God like he should. He's loving himself. And so as soon as he feels that something unfair happens to him, then he gets angry at God without Love of God, man is an animal. With love of God, he's a noble creature. Without love uh, to God, he lives for his appetites and for and he's tainted because of them. With love to God, he lives in God's affections and that elevates him. We have to have love for the Lord. He says, thou shalt love. Then he says, the Lord. This is the word kyrios. It speaks of one who owns another. It speaks of a master. There is only one God. His name is the Lord. Uh, we cannot truly love the Lord until we see him as the Lord. Would you agree with me on that? He says, thou shalt love the Lord. He is the Lord. He is our master. He owns us. We don't truly love him until we are surrendered to him and we acknowledge him as our master. That's what the right kind of love does. There's, this is a call for absolute submission, a total surrender to the Lord. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus reminds us that our love for God ought to be, or our whole life ought to be so, <coughs> excuse me, God-centered. Every emotion that we have, is a God-centered emotion. Every thought that we have is a God-centered thought. Every decision, every deed, God-centered. God ought to be loved and served <coughs> with all of our strength that we possess. 
Then he goes on, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. This phrase speaks of being in a saving relationship with God Almighty. He is not thy God until you have surrendered to him and believed in the gospel for salvation. Is he your God today? You see, he is the Lord no matter what you say. But he is not thy God unless you decide to accept him into your life. These are two different things. Uh, The Lord is without our approval. It is without our say-so. It's just a pure fact. He is the Lord. But thy God is up to you. That's a choice that you make. Uh, You cannot love him the way you should until you know him personally. Then he says, with all thy heart. The heart, the word heart refers to the core (coughs) of our physical beings. The very core of your being should pulse with the love for the Lord. When we love him with all our heart, well, loving him in other areas is not going to be a problem. Uh, We love God, then we're going to go to church. We love God, we're going to tithe. We love God, we're going to do what he says. We love him, we're going to serve him. If you really love your wife, you're going to do things for her, even though they make no sense at all. But you're just going to do it because you love her and vice versa. And so we do this for the Lord too. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Again, if your heart is right, then all else will be right too. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says, love God with all your heart. Then he says, with all thy soul. The word soul refers to the seat of the emotions or the will. Our love for him should be an emotional love. That is, we should not be ashamed to express our love with emotion. Yes, uh, it should not, <coughs> emotion should never be in the driver's seat, but emotion should not be in the attic either. Let's have a right balance here. We should have an emotional love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saying that as a Christian, we should be excited about God. We should have a zeal for him. When others are around us, they ought to see uh, that we have an excitement about serving the Lord, a gratefulness to serve God, and we're not ashamed of it. We have a zeal in it. We should have, uh, that is what we're talking about with all thy soul. People around you should recognize your zeal for serving God. I really believe that, with all thy soul. And then he says, with all thy mind. The word mind refers to the intellect. As we understand who God is, as he's revealed in his word, we respond to that truth by focusing the power of our intellect into worshiping him and loving him. I believe that the with all thy mind will be improved as we study the word of God intellectually having the mind of God as well and understanding him and that way we can love him even better and then it says with all thy strength the word strength speaks of our might our power our abilities every ability every gift every talent every strength should be mobilized in our life to love God the idea presented here in this verse is that we're to love God with the entirety of our beings Everything about us serving God. God has given us a perfect, complete love. He loves us with all that he has. We're to love him the same way. Again, like I mentioned before, the idea is total commitment, absolute surrender to the Lord God in our life. This is a genuine love for the Lord. Do you have it? Do you have this love for God in your life? And then Jesus does what Jesus often does. He gives a bonus. You ask him a question, he gives you what you want, and then he gives, but there's more. And then he answers, uh, he gives a second one. He, he says, the second, he didn't say what's the top two. He said, what's the first? 
Jesus added one. And the second is like, namely this. <laughs> so in other words, he said it's the second is like the first. Now, the scribe hadn't asked anything about beyond the first commandment, but Jesus is going <coughs> to give it anyway because it's very important. To teach that genuine love for God manifests itself in love for our fellow man. I, I don't mean to, I'm, I'm not trying to be harsh, mean to be mean, but I really believe this with all my heart. I question anybody's love for God who can't love other Christians, can't get along with people. Uh, if you love God, you're going to love his people. Uh, you're going to love the, 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 to fellowship with God's people. So the second is like. It's like the first. It builds on the first. Then he says here, thou shalt love. Here's that word agape again. I am to love others with the same love that I have for God and the same love that he has for me. I'm to love unconditionally. Now think about this. We're talking about other people now. Oh, to live up above with the ones that we love, that will be glory. But to live down below with the ones that we know, now that's a different story. You understand what I'm saying. But we're to love one another. We're to have the same love that God has for us. I'm to have for you. I'm to love you unconditionally. You know what that means? If you do something to hurt me, I'm supposed to love you anyway. Not supposed to get mad at you. Not supposed to get an attitude. Not supposed to go talk about you to somebody else. I'm supposed to love you anyway. Eternally. Unconditionally. Perfectly. I'm supposed to love you with purity. I'm supposed to, here's a tough one. This is really tough. I'm supposed to love you with no expectation of a return. I mean, that's tough sometimes. Now, I know this isn't you. You don't do this, so we're talking about other people. But some people, when they write out their Christmas cards, they think back, should we send one to so-and-so? I don't know. Did they send one, us, one to us last year? You see where I'm going with this? Uh, it's just a natural thing. Uh, we expect reciprocation to what we do. We're not supposed to love that way. We're, lo we're to love with no expectation of anything in return. Can you love your fellow Christian like that? It's a tough call, but that's God's expectation for us. I'm to love sacrificially. And then he says, who? He talks about who? Thy neighbor. Who? That takes the load off because none of these jokers are my neighbors. Well, that's not what Jesus said. He gives us a clear indication in the story of Luke 10 who our neighbor is. The, the men that met the Samaritan had never met him, did not know him, did not live in the same city, did not live in the same country as this man, and he was their neighbor. Our neighbor is who we meet. Our neighbor is who we run into every day of our lives. The neighbor is not just my friend. He's the person, not just the person who looks like me or runs in my circles. According to Jesus, I really believe this. My neighbor is anybody I meet, I run into. Love your neighbor. Oh, this is getting hard. And then he says, as thyself. Everyone in this room loves themselves. Now, when you're hungry, you get yourself something to eat. When you're thirsty, you find something to drink. When self gets sick, we seek medical treatment. Now, we're supposed to love those around us with the same kind of love. And we won't go through it because we did just a few months ago, but 1 Corinthians 13 lays this all out, what kind of love and what it looks like. But we can just encapsulate it in this idea of loving God 
others as ourselves. Do you know how incredibly rare this is to love someone else? Let me give you an example. You are <coughs> you're driving into your neighborhood. It's a summer night. It's not dark yet. And all of a sudden, you see smoke billowing into the sky. There's just something about a house fire that looks like a house fire, even from a distance. And as you get closer, your heart starts beating just a little bit because you realize it's in your neighborhood. And so you speed up a little faster. And as you get closer to your street, you recognize that it's not only on your, in your neighborhood, it's on your street. Now you hit the gas. You screech around the corner onto your street. You rush toward your house. And as you draw close to your house, you let out a huge whew, breath of relief. It's not my neighbor's house. It's mine. Whew, that was close. We don't love our neighbor like we love ourselves. Now, none of us would do that because... We're relieved if it's not us, not our neighbors. We just don't imagine, imagine what kind of church this would be if everyone in it loved everyone else like they love themselves. Just think about that. Imagine what it would be like in your house if everyone in it loved everyone else like they love themselves. Man, you'd have a smile that stretched from ear to ear all the time. You talk about peace, you talk about unity, <clears throat> because this is a tough, tough, tough command. They're both tough. This is a tough one. Jesus was the first man to put these two commandments together as a summary of the law. If we loved God like he tells us to love God, we would not break the first four of the Ten Commandments. If we loved man like he says to love our neighbor, then we would not break the last six of the Ten Commandments. Uh, we would have both the vertical taken care of and the horizontal all encapsulated in this command right here. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't steal from him, shoot him, covet his car, things like that. That's what we're talking about here. Love your neighbor as yourself. Tall commands. When the facade is ripped away, all, listen now, all of our problems, all of our sin, all of our conflict can be traced to, I don't love God the way I should. I don't love my neighbor the way I should. That's tough, isn't it? That's convicting. All of it can be attributed to one of those two problems. Now, the question we face is, what are we going to do about it? Do we continue as we were, or are we going to be found faithful in these two areas? Loving God as we should, loving our fellow man as we should. Uh, we're going to need to seek his help to do it. It's not going to be natural. Now, some, of, some people are easy to love. Others are not. You're going to have to figure out which one you are. <laughs> Maybe I'll help you with it. You, come and, you ask me, am I the easier or am I the difficult? I'll be honest with you. Okay, you just come and ask me. Uh, but you know what I mean. Some people aren't as easy to love as others. Some are more difficult to love. Love them anyway. That's what Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. What I think is so genius about this, uh, this statement Jesus made, is because how can you possibly, if somebody tasked you 
with measure how much a person should love someone else. How, should you how much should you love a fellow Christian? That is your theological homework. Bring that to class. How much measure it? And it, oh, by the way, the measurement needs to be uh, universal. Any language, any time, any century, any millennium, it needs to fit. Jesus said, love him as yourself. There it is. That's our measurement. Every one of us loves ourselves. Every one of us takes real good care of this one right here. Now let's do it for others as well. And that's Jesus' command to us. I think if we could, at least, we're not going to master it until we get to heaven. I understand that because we're, we're sinners. But I think if we'd make a real effort to work on that, those two commandments this year, we'd see a, a, a Bible Baptist church would have a facelift. Amen. And be a help to us. Father, we thank you.